Hey, let's uh, continue in prayer, shall we? Almighty God, you are great indeed. You are greater than our little brains can even imagine. And Lord, you are good. You are better than we have as yet come to realize. And yet we have a taste of it in your faithfulness, Lord, in countless ways. And, And today we do indeed praise you and thank you for this provision through the generosity of your people over many, many years. And we thank you for this milestone, Lord, this place where we are together, where we we can be free from debt and yet be free for expanded ministry. And we ask that you grant leaders wisdom to know how best to be stewards of of this uh, new season, this wonderful culmination of gifts that you've provided. And now, Lord, as we open up the scriptures, we ask that we hear your word. I ask that I would not get in the way, but be a way that you speak. In any event, come to each of us and speak to us according to your purposes and our needs. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, the risen one. Amen. Amen. Hey, we'll let the kids take off, unless they'd rather be here, which they probably don't. And if you'd rather go with them than be here with me, then go for it. Hey, can, can we, I just feel led to do this. Can, can we thank the worship team for their ministry? <laughs> at uh, first service, I was kind of amazed at Chris over here. He, uh, he broke a string. And at first I, didn't, I wasn't sure what he's doing, but while not missing a beat, while holding the mic, he managed to put down the guitar with a broken string open up a case to get a second guitar, get it all hooked up, and I'm, it, it distracted me a tiny bit from the Lord, but, not, but it mainly impressed me with your gifts to keep moving on. And, and, and that's just a small instance of uh, the gifts that, that we have in our worship team. Hey, I want to take some time in Matthew 14. Would you find that in a Bible? And while you're looking for Matthew 14... A quick quiz. I wonder if any of you know who these two gentlemen are. We'll put a picture up here. On the left, we have Bill, Bill Gates, right? And on the did I hear a boo? On the right, we have Warren, slightly lesser known, Warren Buffett. Um, these are these are two of the poorest persons on earth, right? Oh, oh did I get that wrong? Uh, these these two guys have almost as much money as Nathan and Taylor Burdick. They, uh, they're loaded. And they didn't inherit that they, they worked hard, they're smart, even, you know, even if you don't like everything they've done, and so on. But uh, they were each asked, separate from each other, and these guys are good friends, but they were asked separate from each other, a question, if you could sum up your success in a single word, Sum up your success in a single word. What would that word be? Independent of each other, they said the exact same thing. They said the one word would be focus. And we can move on to that. If you saw the sermon title, you probably guessed what that word was. They said focus, both both as a verb, meaning the act of concentrating and being attentive instead of being scattered, but also as a kind of noun. Having something you are attentive to. 
and uh, concentrating on. So having a focus and doing some focusing. Now, I think that's general wisdom, better to be focused than scattered. And yet it begs the question, focused on what? And also the question of how do you focus? How do you engage in focusing? Because here's the deal. Uh, There was a man named Adolf Hitler who was extremely, insanely focused, right? And it led to horrific evil. So we're going to look at another man in the weeks ahead. His given name is Simon, but he gets renamed. Anybody know? Peter, Peter, right? Petras, Kephas, meaning rock, as we'll see. And here's a guy who was learning to place his focus on Jesus. And engaged in a kind of focusing that was all about active trust. Though we're also going to see, as you probably know, that here's a guy that, like me and maybe you, many times got his focus on less than the best. And a lot of times, instead of being focusing, he was uh, kind of scattered. He'd get kind of fuzzy. But the really good news that comes through the New Testament and all that we see with Simon Peter is that uh, a very real Jesus never, ever lost his focus of transforming love on Peter and never, ever loses his focus of transforming love on you and me and anyone and everyone. So let's, let's take a look at an example of all this from Matthew 14, starting with verse 22. <clears throat> Immediately, Jesus made the disciples, well, let me, a little context. He's just hosted an intimate lunch for 5,000 families. And uh, immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of him on the, to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up to a mountainside by himself to pray. And by the way, this you see throughout the Gospels, Jesus loved the crowds, but that love came from the Father. And that was his priority. And so he spent a lot of time just with the Father. Well, later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, crying out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You have a little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? Let me ask you this. Why do you think Peter had the slightest desire to step out of that boat onto the surface of a deep lake in the middle of a late middle of the night storm? It doesn't really say exactly, but I've just kind of speculated. I wonder if he was so afraid he just couldn't wait to get to Jesus. Or maybe he was so arrogant He just thought, watch this, guys. I'm going to walk on water. Or or maybe he's he's so 
stupid, he kind of forgot that water's not made for walking. Or I don't know, maybe, maybe he's just got so much faith that he wants to be with Jesus and he wants to be like Jesus. I don't know, I, it's probably a combination of all of those things. I mean, one thing about Peter, you kind of know where he's at. He's not one to sit back. He's not one to uh, stay quiet. I think Peter was the kind of guy who lived by the motto, ready, fire, and then aim. You know how that goes? And, and there's a lot to be said for that. Here's a guy that's willing to step out there, literally. And, and so he, he's the one who gets out of the boat into the storm. He's the one who, as we're going to see in a week or two, um, he's the one who's the very first to pipe up and say, Jesus, I'm getting this. You're the Messiah. You're Israel's king. And he's the one who later pledges his absolute loyalty to Jesus in the midst of serious threat. And so you've got you to admire this guy. He doesn't cower back. He, 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 he literally steps out um, in whatever faith he might have. But here's the deal. He's also one who, when he realizes that Jesus is the Messiah, he decides to give Jesus some advice on how to be a Messiah and how not to be a Messiah. It doesn't go real well. He's also the one who, after pledging his absolute loyalty to Jesus, soon after just totally caves into fear and denies that he even knows who Jesus is. And he's the guy who, once he looks out at the waves and the, and the wind, he ends up sinking. But I want to tell you, both sides of that, it's a, I think it's a realistic and encouraging picture of genuine faith. A picture of genuine faith. A faith that struggles, that steps out, that's ultimately life-giving. A faith that's finally trusting God. Here's, here's what genuine faith is. Here's one way of looking at it. I want to put this up on the screen here. It's, it's a posture of honestly facing what's hard, not pretending it's not there but then even more intentionally placing a focus, a focus of attention, of listening, of um, active following, placing a focus on Christ. That's what genuine faith is about. It's not, faith is, is not just mustering up something from within, mustering up a positive attitude, a kind of a, um, a willfulness where Peter wasn't in the boat saying, I can walk on water, I can walk on water, I can walk on water, just trying to get that, that, uh, that inner confidence. That's not what real faith is. Faith is also not pretending like there's not a problem here. Faith is not just uh, being so positive that, that you just ignore any kind of genuine issues. It's not uh, Peter acting as if, there's no storm. No, that's just an illusion. There's, there's, there's no deep water here. Um, it would be presumptuous, it would be downright stupid, frankly, to hop in a boat and go across the Sea of Galilee in the middle of the night during a raging storm. It just, it's not wise. Uh, much less to actually step out of a boat and, and go into the water. Except, except that this man, that these guys have come to believe just might be the actual son of God, he said some things. He said, get into the boat and go to the other side. And they had just enough trust. Okay, we'll do that. Uh, 
Peter had just enough faith to hear Jesus say, he didn't just decide to go out. He said, Lord, would you invite me? And he heard Jesus say, come, come onto the water. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. It's not just something we muster up. And so faith lies in this man who says go, who says, don't be afraid, I'm with you, come to me. So faith is what fully and honestly has us facing what we desperately need, which is God, and then placing more and more focus on that God. And when our focus shifts away from that God, like happened with Peter, well, we face our desperate need and we cry out, just like the focus prayer of Jesus, Lord, save me, and he does. I don't know about you, but um, if we could just go back for a second on this slide. I don't know about you, but, uh, but sometimes um, I, just, I just don't face the hard stuff. I, I just try to pretend it's not there. It'll just go away if I wait long enough. And um, that can be a serious problem. If we can go to the next slide, uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of uh, Admiral Jim Stockdale. He was a prisoner of war in Vietnam for eight years. I've got an interest in POWs. My dad was one in World War II in the, in the Philippines and Japan for three years. But uh, Stockdale had it all the worse for eight years. And he was explaining how he got through this terrible ordeal. And so Stockdale said this, you must never confuse faith you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose with the discipline to confront the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they may be. He was basically saying that if, on the one hand, you do face the hard realities without hope, you're going to fall into despair. But on the other hand, if you you have some version of hope, and yet you're not facing current reality, You're living in a fantasy. And sooner or later, that'll crumble and you'll fall into despair. And Stockdale said that's what happened to many of the prisoners. Either no hope or a false hope. Because they weren't willing to face, they weren't willing to confront the reality of the hard stuff in front of them. It's what Peter ends up saying in his first letter. He says that um, we who belong to Christ are aliens and exiles in this world. We don't belong to this world. And so he says, don't be surprised. Don't get blown away at the fiery ordeal as if something strange were happening to you. Don't look for problems, but don't be blown away when they do happen. We're broken people in a broken world. We've got to face that. Be realistic about it. Be in touch with truth, with reality. Uh, this is one reason the Bible is full of prayers, especially in the Psalms, <clears throat> that face the hard things, honestly. <clears throat> you read the Psalms, and, along, and I, I try to pray a few Psalms every morning just to get me oriented, focused on God, but also honest about what I'm dealing with or what others are dealing with. And, and so <clears throat> you'll find Psalms that, that draw us into gut-level honest expressions of, hey, I've screwed up here. I need to confess something. But also just 
bad things are going on here. I don't get it. I'm scared. I'm angry. Whatever. These are psalms of lament. And it's important that we allow ourselves to be expressing those sorts of things, to face the hard stuff. Uh, but, but, but here's the other side. Here's another pitfall that we can get into. You know, sometimes I try to ignore the problems, but sometimes when I can't ignore the problems, I focus on the problems. Don't just face them as if they're, because uh, they are there, but I focus on them. I dwell on the problems, and as a result, as a result dwell in the problems. So they take control. They, they shape the way I think. They begin to drive the sorts of decisions I make. Somebody once said that the main problem you have is not the problem you're dealing with. The main problem is when you make that problem the main problem. You catch that? Your main problem is not the problem. The main problem is when you make that problem the main problem. When you focus on it, when you dwell on it, and so dwell in it. And an example in Peter's first letter of this, he says, when you have anxiety, and I'd say we all have anxiety at times. If not, we've got the denial issue going on. But when you face anxiety, throw it God's way. Get your focus on him. Why, Peter says? Because he cares. Get your focus on him and throw that anxiety you face his way. You know, in college, um, one way I had to learn this, I realized I was a fairly new believer, and I was getting into a kind of snarl in my faith where I realized I was placing more faith in faith itself instead of God. I was putting faith in my own faith. I was putting faith in the, um, the knowledge about God I was gathering. I was putting more faith in the feelings I was trying to muster up. I was putting more faith in the stuff I was trying to do for God. It was all well motivated, but you see the subtle problem? Putting more faith in my faith instead of faith in God himself. And a breakthrough came when I was listening to this guy talk, and it is a substance of talk on faith, but he had a simple illustration. He grabbed a broomstick, and he did the little trick, maybe you've tried it at least as a kid, where you put the bristles up and, and the top on your hand, and you try to balance it. Um, maybe I could demonstrate with your, your Martin guitar, or, or not, you know. <laughs> but uh, try, you know, try it when you get home. It, Probably won't hurt you. And, uh, but you balance that broomstick, but where do you put your eyes? You put them up at the bristles. And, and your hand kind of follows along, you know, as, as the bristles tilt. If you put your, hand on, uh, put your gaze on your hand, that thing's coming down. Well, what he said was that faith follows Jesus. Follow, faith moves around. But if you look at your faith, it's, it's going to fall down. You keep your eyes on Jesus, and, and then your faith follows. The power is not in your faith. The power is in him. You know, we, we talk about our salvation, being reconciled with God, and, and so often we say, how are you saved? Well, you accept Jesus as your Savior and Lord. Is that true? 
Yes, but sometimes we have slightly the wrong focus. Because here's the deal, friends. You're not saved by accepting Jesus. I'm going to get some of you mad now. I may get fired for this. But I think you're going to agree with this. We are saved by the Jesus we accept. Do you hear the difference? I think many of us, as we're led toward Christ, are told to accept Jesus, and so pray this prayer, and it's, it's, it's genuine, and God, out of his mercy, saves us, but sometimes we end up putting more faith in, well, how do I know I'm right with God? Because I prayed that prayer. Well, that was an entry point, but you're saved because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross in the resurrection. And it's about the Christ you accept, not about you accepting him. You, you hear what I'm saying? And that's, that's just you know, part of becoming a Christian. That's the way we continue to live as a Christian. It's, it's about him who's real, who's with us, who goes before us, who then draws us into a growing kind of trust, an active trust. Just a couple quick things more from this story um, that, that, that feed our faith, I, I pray. Um, I don't know if you've ever wondered this, but why in the world was Jesus walking on the lake? I mean, was he just saying, hey guys, watch this. Here's a cool miracle. <laughs> you know? Uh, there, I think there's something more to this. Uh, I don't know if you ever noticed in the Bible how, especially in the Old Testament, uh, the sea, large bodies of water, is a pretty negative kind of experience. It really goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, where, where the picture of creation, of God making everything out of nothing, it's, it's pictured as, as the face of the deep that the Spirit hovers over. It's dark. It's formless. It's empty. And it's pictured in this, uh, it's throughout the Old Testament, the symbol of chaos and evil and nothingness is the sea. And very practically, ancient Jews, they were kind of terrified of the Mediterranean Sea. You think about it, the only, um, the only stories we have of the sea in the Old Testament did not go well. Think of Jonah, <laughs> you know, <laughs> headed out and running away from God, and, and it, it just didn't go well. Well, part of it, I mean, that actually, I believe that actually happened, but it's also just this was a pretty useful symbol, a representation of evil. You get to the very end of the Bible, and, and a, a line that really baffled and even bothered me is in Revelation chapter 21, where the whole Bible story culminates in the wonderful vision of the Apostle John, where he says, and I looked and I saw a new heaven and a new earth. But then this line, and there was no longer any sea. Now, I love the ocean. When I first noticed that, I said, what? No body surfing in heaven? Well, it's a Jewish man being given a vision of how he looked at the world, and the sea was the representation of chaos and evil, and nothingness that God would ultimately throw out. And here in Matthew 14, what do we have? <clears throat> this man who's walking right across this represent, what is a reminder for Jews of chaos and evil, 
And this man's just like taking a cakewalk over it. It's no big deal. And in other stories like this, apparently it happened more than a few times when they were out in a stormy sea on the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus, and remember he's fully human, Jesus at this point is so unafraid, unlike the disciples, he's taking a nap. And once he does wake up, an echo of Genesis 1, he speaks over the chaos, the storm, and anticipating his speaking over all evil, and says, back off and calm comes upon the sea. And it is no wonder that when Jesus gets back into the boats and the wind has died down, that the disciples say, truly, you are the Son of God. That's just one other thing I want to point out here, and that's the the great line in verse um, 31. Peter's sinking into the waves. He was terrified. And immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. I'm sure that was really good news for Peter. When I first became a pastor in my mid-20s, I came to appreciate one member in her 60s named Dottie. Uh, Dottie had a lot of health problems, so off and on I would see her in the hospital or just go over to her house. And uh, she, she had illness, but also real character a lot of, and a lot of fun to be with. And I, I just often went because I knew I'd walk away blessed just by hanging out with Dottie. Well, one day we were talking about different things and it was time, I prayed and it was time to go. As I headed for the door, I just casually said, hang in there, Dottie. And she blurted out, oh, for goodness sake, I let go every day. But then she had a twinkle in her eye and she pointed up and said, but he never, ever lets go. And I heard the good news that day from Dottie. And just to go back to our, our image of focusing, could I remind you that for all the ways we shift our focus off, off God, he never, ever loses his focus of absolute transforming love for you, for me, and for the rest of this world. That's good news, isn't it? Hey, let's take a moment to pray, shall we? And let me encourage you to maybe ask the Holy Spirit to help you think of what you need to face today. Something you're worried about, even afraid of, something confusing, some kind of a responsibility that's kind of overwhelming, but what do you you have to just honestly face? But then can you ask him for the, well, courage to do that, but then ask him to empower you to, above all, put your focus, your attention, your listening ear, your stepping out, to place your focus on him and that he's for you, he's with you, he goes before you.
Lord, for myself and for each person here, for us together as part of your body. I dare thank you for the ways you tell us to get out of the boat. It's a life that's truly life and give us, Lord, the freedom to follow you even in hard places. But then thank you so much, Lord, that you don't just push us out of a boat. You invite us always to yourself. You're with us. You go before us. When we sink, you're there. You catch us. And I especially pray today for anyone here who's in the middle of some sort of storm and hard to even see that you're there, wondering if uh, you will get them through it. Please give them some reminder of your presence, of your promises. Give them hope. Give them your peace. And just like we sang earlier, Chris's song, I ask that we could genuinely say today is a good day no matter what we have to face because you are with us and for us. Amen. I know I've told this story before but the song Good Day came from a really hard time in my life. Um, I was approaching Easter Sunday. Easter Sunday morning was upon us and, and I was really kind of in a hard spot as far as my own life is concerned. And one of my friends who I call an honest answer friend walked up and said, Hey, how you doing? I was going to dump on him. I just tell him everything that was going on in my life. And then I stopped for a second. I thought, you know what? Today is a good day. Doesn't matter what all I'm facing in my life. Today is a good day. And so that's where this song came from that, that afternoon I wrote this song. So if you want to sing it with me, feel free. Today is a good day Today is a day that you have made Today is a good day No matter what I have to face Today is a good day. Today is a day that you have made. Today is a good day. No matter what I have to face, for the steps of a righteous man they are loaded up high. For the steps of a righteous man. Today is a good day. 
Today is a day that you have made. Today is a good day. No matter what I have to face, today is a good day. Today is a day that you have made. Today is a good day. No matter what I have to face, today is a good day. Thank you, Chris, for that story and the song it led to. And may we all know that today is a good day, no matter what we have to face, because Jesus is risen from the dead and is with us and goes before us. God bless you all. Amen. Today is a good day.